so in full disclosure, uh, my co-host, Dr. Mickey, has allowed me to um, intro this episode of the podcast because it's a Black History Month. That's the episode. only reason I is, wanted you is to That's why us. five yeah. seconds that's before it. you said, hey, do you want to intro <laughs> the podcast? I did the last one. <laughs> We trade off. <laughs> so this is a guest in the house podcast. I am David Shanks, aka Trom Diggs. I'm here with my partner, Dr. Mickey Hess. I am Dr. Mickey Hess. I'm a white guy who often gets asked to come and speak for Black History Month. Cool. And I have to say, I don't think it's the best look. Is that and there, so we're going right in. That's my response. We're yeah. Right so in. since I've written a few books about hip hop. Yes. Um, I've gotten a few requests every year, you know, starting like October, November, people say, Hey, we're doing this, uh, this black history month event at our organization at our high school, at our college. Hmm. And I'll say, all right. So right off the bat, I just want to make sure, I don't know if you saw my picture, but, um, I'm a white guy. Yeah. I've written some books about hip hop, written some books about black culture and the way white folks interact with it. But I think a black scholar would be a better choice for your Black History Month event. And here mm. are a few people I know who you might want to reach out to. Mm. Mm. And why do you think that? And why do I think that? You only get one month. <laughs> you only get February. Um, I don't think it's effective. To bring in a white person. I've even, I've heard the rationale from some of these people. One person even preemptively said, I know it's a Black History Month event, but most of our students are white. So we mm. think the message may be better conveyed to them mm. by a white speaker. We think they may be more receptive. That is something that I didn't realize mm -hmm. is more prominent than I realized. Right? <laughs> How many... People feel mm -hmm. that even in something like Black History Month, yeah, other folks would be more comfortable mm -hmm. receiving their Black History Month from people who look like, like them. them. When I think mm. Carter G. Woodson began what was Negro History Week. Week. To acknowledge mm -hmm. the contributions mm -hmm. of black people. That is exactly what in America he started it. That had since and since, before mm -hmm. and since, been overlooked grossly. Absolutely. So now, even in that, mm -hmm. going back to almost 100 years, in, but right? going back to the conversation we had a few episodes back. Sure. Even that, mm. we have to make white folks comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah. And that would be my role, I suppose, if I took one of these speaking gigs. And I've had people even get like a little testy mm. when they write back and say, well, okay, whatever, we'll find somebody else. Mm. You know, that's kind of the tone they wrote back with. We thought this was a good idea, but I guess it is, and we'll find the next guy. And I'm sure they find plenty of white folks who are willing to jump up on stage, you know, a couple hundred dollars. A free trip. You know, I don't know what they get out of it. But um, to me, you know, I've been on panels mm. where I was the only white speaker and we were speaking about black culture, hip hop. 
And I'm okay with that. But even in Black History Month, I think I would say I will sit this one out because I think you should have an all black panel. Yeah. For Black History Month. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't have a role in this one. Yeah. And I mentioned this even in class, and I had a couple of black students this past semester who said, well, you got to understand, though, we're sort of constantly reaching out to the few black faculty on campus to kind of speak up for us and get our concerns out there. Right. And sometimes they're just so overtaxed and overburdened by it that they Mm. just don't want to do it anymore. we, we need champions. Yeah. And I can understand that logic. But, but, however, yeah, however, February is not the time to do it. Mm. Your Black History Month event, when in my experience, I've mentioned this on other episodes. You know, I've I've offered to bring in or tried to campaign to bring it, bring in a black guest speaker, whether it was a novelist or a poet or a hip hop star, in say November, and heard great, great. Let's uh, do this in Black History Month. Let's wait till February. So if that's the approach that I'm supposed to wait a few months to bring in a black person to right, campus, right? then I really have got to stay out of February, right? right. If that's the time to right. do it. Right. And ideally, I mean, I don't think that Carter Woodson's intent was to segregate black history. Right. I think ideally the mention of a black history week, black history month should be like I a launching pad or a springboard. Car- exactly. Into I don't the whole think curriculum. Carl G. Woodson had any idea that in 2020, mm-hmm. we would still be getting a month. Right. Get all your shit off in February and be done with it. Damn it. I bet he had a fear. I don't know if he... I think he thought it was an entry point. If I could just get this week going, I guarantee you in a hundred years, we would have moved to a space where it's just included. Yeah. And if listeners don't know the name Carter G. Woodson, he wrote a book called Miseducation of the Negro. One of the greatest books that I've ever read. Absolutely. And Lauren Hill, of course, borrowed the name for Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And then a whole bunch of other rappers quoted her and mm-hmm. just grossly inaccurate in their use of saying they miseducate. So what people. was the original meaning of that use of miseducation? You're the scholar, so I'm <laughs> right back to you. Flip it no, right it, back no, to No, really me. what it was from my, from my standpoint, and mm-hmm. I agree, because yeah. having been a um, college educator, having been college educated, um, there is a how best to say this we go through these 12 years of school and these extra four years of secondary school or you know post and then there's postgraduate work and by the time most of us are done with our bachelors some of us are masters those of us who even get to the phd Mm. there's we're so far away from Carter G. Woodson's stance, and it's a stance that I agree with in many ways. Mm. Some of our blackness and the essence of what makes us blackness is stripped in that education process. So you have Mm. a smart black individual with a European mind 
and a European worldview. And in many cases, that person becomes as much of a detriment mm -hmm. to his or her own community as the uneducated Negro. So that schooling is a form of assimilation or assimilation is kind of the end goal of that. Correct. That approach to school. Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. And um, many of us end up hating the communities mm -hmm. that we come from through that process. It's almost okay. like a bleaching. Sure. Yeah. So it's you whitewash history. Well, you're also kind of whitewashing black students Correct. in a different sense of bleaching. Correct. So Dead Prez has a song, They Schools, about this issue, or They School. I don't mm -hmm. think it's plural. Um, Master Killer mm -hmm. has a great song called School with Reza off of his first solo album. Mm -hmm. um, Hip-hop has definitely talked about this across yeah. the years yeah. and across the region. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a problem that's going away anytime soon because as books like Jonathan Kozel's Shame of the Nation have pointed out recently, schools in America are as segregated now as, they, as they've been since 1968. Absolutely. We've really slid backwards. Absolutely. This. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and I mean, even in my experience, mm -hmm. and I have conversations with friends you know, who have done very well for themselves through education and have been able to step their family up from a socioeconomic standpoint, move out of the hood. Mm. And, you know, let's say, you know, there's a um, sanctioned police killing, you know, something mm. like that. And we all get upset and we say, our community has to figure out what to do about these senseless killings of unarmed black youth. Sure. What is that community exactly? Our community, right? So it's like, well, it's the black community, mm -hmm. but none of us live per se in a black community a lot of us mm -hmm. <laughs> have sure. done well for ourselves and have left the black community so the geographic community well what i'm speaking to is what 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 we had when we, when we were segregated mm -hmm. was that you know your dentist lived in harlem your you know your shoemaker lived in harlem your mm -hmm. black doctor lived in harlem you had to live in Harlem because you couldn't live downtown, mm -hmm. right? What happened when you were allowed to move downtown is that a lot of our professionals left and moved downtown. Sure. We're not here to say right or wrong, good or bad, whatever. But what I'm saying is a lot of what's happening in urban communities, mm -hmm. you know, pre-gentrification is that the best of the community left the community. Okay. <laughs> and so you can't uplift a community when all the college educated, all the prof all the doctors, all the professionals are gone. When everybody leaves. Right. right. Okay. And so what's left is what's left. Mm -hmm. And 
So when things are happening, you know, like there's no voting, we're not voting, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not, we don't have any home ownership, we don't have any business ownership, like we're gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's, I think, what Carter G. Woodson was addressing in yeah. that monumental piece. Like we up when we up up upwardly mobile ourselves, mm-hmm. we abandon. You leave other people behind. Correct. And those people who are left behind are subjected to, mm-hmm. you know, the worst of what we would say this system mm-hmm. um, provides from a marginalization standpoint. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we all have a responsibility, I think, you know, as a community. So mm-hmm. we're talking about like the black community. I think we there is a responsibility for us to reinvest in where we came from. It's not just cool, speaking even for myself, to just be like, I'm from East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and wear that as a badge of honor and mm-hmm. kind of be able to go into um, other spaces where I'm with you or with, yeah. you know, and say, I'm from Brooklyn. Okay. And people go, oh, that's cool. And you have no ties left at the worst case scenario, right? You leave East Flatbush in your rear view mirror. Yep. And you leave the people. Yep. And he's flash blushing your rear mirror. And I know that you personally have not done that. No. But that's the worst case scenario. Well, right, I, right, right, right. And I've, I mean, I've been priced out of East Flatbush, <laughs> too, so that's not all my fault. But, <laughs> but, but you, you think yeah. about how this shows up in hip hop, like uh, everybody from Ice T to Ice Cube to Lil Wayne has mm-hmm. talked about, yeah, you know, I speak from past experience. I came from these neighborhoods, Correct. but now I live in the suburbs. Now I'm out. And now I'm speaking back to my past experience and to the people who are still there. Right. And that can be, of course, problematic. And being and being handsomely rewarded oh, yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. For telling stories of things that you're far removed from at this point. Telling stories at a distance, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the the terms segregation and assimilation that you and I have used so far in this podcast episode, we don't hear those terms pop out quite as much today as we would have 30, 60, 100 years ago. Right. But that strain between segregation and assimilation has always been at the root of these discussions. Absolutely. And even the Black History Month discussion, right? Yeah. Again, it wasn't meant to segregate Black History to the twenty eight or twenty nine days of February. This, this year we got a day, extra yeah. day, extra day. Make it count, folks. Yeah. yeah, don't don't call me though. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a speaker, I might suggest David Shanks, aka uh, Charmed It. And, and, yeah, but I might tell you that I'm not the biggest proponent of Black mm-hmm. History Month, only mm-hmm. for the reason that they, it still exists. Mm-hmm. And I think that the fact that it still exists yeah. is, you know, an indictment on our country, among many indictments that I have. It should have been a first step toward assimilating yes. um, black history into the curriculum. Yes. Quick story. Sure. Um, I had a friend, coworker. We were going to lunch one day. Just a regular conversation. We're talking about... Um, Somehow Alabama came into it. And mm-hmm. uh, Alabama, and I was saying, oh, my brother's in Alabama. He's like, oh, yeah, your brother's in Alabama. I was like, yeah. He did his undergrad at um, Tuskegee. Okay. And he did his, you know, his grad work at Auburn. He's like, um, his PhD at Auburn. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, Tuskegee. I'm like, yeah, Tuskegee Institute. He's like, 
you know, he gave me a puzzled look. Like, oh, I was like, you know, like Booker T. Washington. This was Shit. a person of color, by the way. Okay. He's like, Booker T. I'm like, Booker T. Washington. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, I think I heard of it. Like the, I never heard of it. Ooh. I think I heard of it. Okay. And, you know, like many things that happened in my life, in the moment, I just kind of, mm. mm. But then later I'm like at my desk or I'm driving home or I'm doing just, I'm in the shower or something. And I come back to that moment. Yeah. And I say, George Washington Carver isn't American <laughs> history. Like that's not peanut butter. Yeah. Peanut right? butter. Mm. And like, <laughs> that's a black thing. Yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> Only February. That's the only time you can address Carver. And that's my point. Yeah. Right there. Absolutely. Why don't you know about Tuskegee Institute? Mm. You got Tuskegee Airmen. You got Tuskegee Experiments. Mm -hmm. You got Booker T. Washington. You got Rich Boy. You got Rich Boy. You got, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You got George. You got the peanut. That's it. He made fake meat out of peanuts. Those he recipes made a goddamn record player needle <laughs> out of peanut. It was versatile. You don't, like, that's not American history. Yeah. That's black mm. history. You know, Carver was someone I heard a lot about in February, growing up as a white kid in Kentucky. Only. Only in February. Only. And because he seems so innocuous and harmless. And so that's the stuff that, you know, and you heard my voice raised. Mm. That's the stuff that, you know, I push back against oh, yeah. and I always push back against. I don't understand why it's mm. only something that I can relate to with people who look like me. Yeah. When like it's American history. It's and American we're history. Fucking America. Yeah. Right. And like you don't have to know that. Absolutely. This, you know what I mean? You can be a doctor of education. Yeah. You can go all the way. You have colleagues. Don't know anything about this shit. Couldn't tell you where Tuskegee mm. Institute was. Sure. Why? Why is that okay? You know, I think that's part of this segregation versus assimilation of schools, right? Yeah. I mean, even to think about like the aftermath of school integration. Um, you, you know, listeners may or may not know that a lot of the school teachers unions um, really urged Martin Luther King Jr. to not really push for school integration because mm. they felt black schools were doing well, right. led by black teachers and black principals. Right. And what happened in the wake of school integration, which I think we can all agree was a positive step in the right direction, allowing people to go to whatever school they want, right? Yeah. You can't be kept out of a school because of the color of your skin. Yeah. But what happened to those black principals? What happened to them? What happened to those black not, teachers? They're not getting hired at any white schools. No. <laughs> I mean, worst case scenario, Tanner Colby has a book called Some of My Best Friends Are Black. Mm -hmm. And he talks about one case, I believe it was North Carolina, where a principal from a black high school ended up being a janitor at the white school. Wow. Um, because we don't need two principals. You know, yeah. this is all we can offer you. That's all there is available. Take a broom. Take a broom, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So there's always... There's always some sense of loss that comes with assimilation because it's never been like a true merging of the two cultures, right? Yeah. It's always been 
African-Americans assimilated into white society and white society keeps flowing as it was with a little bit of black addition. Yeah. It's never been like the the folks at the white school said, great, you know, now it'll be such an advantage to us to hear from these black teachers. It's like a Nestle morsel in white. (laughs) (laughs) And no matter how far we've come, we still seem to have that perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why things get isolated to Black History Month in February. Yeah, yeah. And from a personal standpoint, I've been, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to be around a lot of different people from different walks of life. Mm-hmm. I have this thing sometimes where, you know, you find yourself in these spaces. You're having these conversations with um, mostly white folks. And, you know, they're just in their bag and they're just talking like, you know, what I call white shit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's like, oh, there's a nigga, da, 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 and it's this book and this thing. And then I don't know anything about <laughs> any of this shit. Right. And I, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm a pretty educated guy. Sure. You know what I mean? But I don't I didn't have that education, like the white liberal arts education. Yeah. Not my bag. Fair right. Enough. So. Yeah, da, da, nigga. And I'm like, why is it that I should feel that somehow I have been cheated or, you know, missed out or received lack of, you know, from an education standpoint, because I don't know the random shit that these (laughs) folks know when I have an entire bag, an entire slew of information and knowledge that they have no idea about. I just don't get to unleash it on them because this, you know, I just, Mm -hmm. there's never going to be a time where they're probably hanging out with me Mm -hmm. and my six black friends. And we're just talking about shit that we talk about and that we know. And they get to be the outsider. And they get to be the outsider. But I'm, this is all American history though. We're not talking about something that's like, okay, that's only like some shit that's like, that you dudes would be into. No, it's like, no, this is American history. You guys have no idea about it. Absolutely. And you don't have to, you don't even have to know that you don't know about it. But I have to deal with Mm -hmm. the fact that I don't know some shit about like catcher in the rye or something sure. all the time. <laughs> and I refuse to read catcher in the rye because of it. I just won't read it. Uh, see, I'm going to say you're missing out. <laughs> I know. I know that I've been out. told that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you're not going to read it in protest. I can get behind that. Hey. I can. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't have to know Chester Himes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Souls of Black Baldwin. Folk. Du Bois. Baldwin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Du Bois. Like, if you don't have to know that, yeah. I don't have to read it. And, you know, I really didn't. You know, I went all the way through a PhD program in English, and I know a ton in of English, English. majors. In English. And I've taught you had so to many sort English that majors. Out I had to find that myself. Through hip-hop. Yeah. See, I had to make that my focus before I got into it. And a lot of it was just, like, recommendations of books I should read. So I hear from all the English majors I went to school with, English majors I teach now and have taught over the years, a common concern is that you don't get to read a lot of black authors outside of your black lit class. Right. You have Um, to take black lit. And black lit is the Black History Month of the curriculum. Correct. Right? It's um, its its own class, and that's where you're supposed to get it all. And we'll just let whatever professor we hire to teach that deal with, and the rest of us won't really have to expand our horizon. I think, you know, we talked about the subtle ways mm-hmm. that white supremacy does what it does. 
you know, and everyone's fighting these big, huge fights, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, integration or, uh, you know, uh, whatever, police brutality, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're mad at Trump. We hate Trump. We're fighting these big fights. Meanwhile, that subtle thing, the fact that you can go through an entire PhD program in English mm-hmm. in America and not have to read some of the greatest writers yeah. in American history because they're just not considered to be that. You could easily avoid it. Easily. Yeah. If you don't seek it out on your own, you're really not going to get much. Yeah, and along that same theme with Black History Month, too, I noticed just recently, and I believe I sent you this, that a Wisconsin lawmaker yes. has petitioned that as part of Black History Month, this lawmaker proposed a list of mostly white people. And he said he wanted to celebrate Americans for their bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, it identifies like some white abolitionists, some white allies. Mm-hmm. But of course. And why did he do that? And why did he do that? What was, what, what's the representative's name? I'm looking for it right here. Um, I just pulled up the link. Representative Scott Allen of Wisconsin. Yes. He says it's a sincere effort to salute important historical figures. But several black legislators, this is from the Washington Post, have called the effort disingenuous and said it undermines the purpose of Black History Month to highlight the accomplishments of African-Americans so often overlooked in classrooms. Here's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. Allen, whose wife is black and Mm -hmm. whose children are biracial because he has a black wife. Okay. Said he doesn't want to diminish the history of African-Americans, but would like to get, quote, excuse me, like to, quote, get people of all races excited about celebrating Black History mm-hmm. Month. And the way to do that yeah. is to celebrate four white people of the six. Uh-huh. So four of the six figures celebrated in Wisconsin's Black History Month, he proposes, would be white rather than black. And that's because we need mm-hmm. to reach across the aisle and get Republicans excited mm-hmm. about black history month as well sure again Republican, we're back to white, white people being yeah. comfortable with some shit now this yeah. same um argument i believe ensued a year prior mm-hmm. because the petition had colin kaepernick mm-hmm. being celebrated as a wisconsin hero oh, yeah. because he was born in Wisconsin and they that weren't gonna shot let that down. fly. Yeah. And so this is the compromise <laughs> to get us compromise. back excited Ooh. about. Hmm. So maybe I'll get an invite to Wisconsin this year. I'd rather be <laughs> than somebody else. Oh. And there's kind of the it's crux disgusting, of it. Man. Right? I think I mentioned it in an earlier episode. I have a friend who's a Just professor do away in California. With it. Do away with it. Do away with Black History Month altogether. Stop it. Like wow, okay. I'd rather I'd rather mm. nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just how I feel. That's probably just me being heated in the moment. Yeah. But that's for that's for, come on. That's a, that's a joke. So there is a lot of room before we get to nothing. That's I a think. joke. That is a joke. I agree with you for sure. Nothing comes from nothing comes from that. No, I wouldn't agree to this list. I mean, I wouldn't even go if I was getting paid a couple hundred dollars to speak. Right? I have to say, look, this is not the time to invite me. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, I mentioned before I have a friend who's a professor in California, a white guy, and he ended up teaching an African American lit class. Mm-hmm. And they kind of talked him into doing it by saying, well, there's nobody else. It's either, you know, you've got some training in this. We don't have black faculty um, who are able to teach it in the English department. Um, it's you or nobody. Right. And that's that's a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, colleges, universities, 70 percent of the people who teach their classes are part time. Right. They're adjuncts. They're hired like a week before the class starts sometimes or the right. night before the class starts. sometimes. Right. right. It's not him or nobody. And just like, it's not me or nobody, you know, it's like, well, you know, we thought it'd be a good idea for you to come be our speaker because you're white and maybe it'll get more of our white students excited. Why do white people need, <laughs> obviously I'm not having the <laughs> answer for this, although I, I'd like know, to speak although, for you all know, I love people. doing that to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to get at, I think if we've done our job at all mm-hmm. during the time that we have this podcast together. I really want to get down to the bottom of why does white, why does everything Mm -hmm. have to be white in order for it to be given to white people? Because that is what white people expect. That's what we've always had. So it's easy to expect what you've always had. And that's why when people challenge white people a little bit and say, well, what if we did a little differently? They're so taken aback. Like, what? You're oppressing me. See, to me, nothing gets done mm-hmm. that we want to get done. People like me and you want to get done until that gets addressed. That's a tough mentality to bust people out of. I know. It really is. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. But to me, everything else, it will always be a, yeah. a month being given to us as long as and i mean even in the month it has to be given to us in a way that makes it okay for it to be a month and and see i don't know if the problem is entirely that mentality that mentality is out there but it's more of a coddling of that mentality right the people who are in charge of the curriculum people who are in charge of these black history month events or programs say like well i kind of think our students would be more comfortable with this so we'll give them what they're because more comfortable there's, with because and that's the point it's never what's comfortable about change like yeah. <laughs> i mean learning doesn't have to hey, be fun listen doesn't listen, have to be easy listen listen unbeknownst to you guys mm-hmm. black people did a lot of shit in this country and you're going to learn it yeah, for 45 minutes out of your <laughs> day or life or week. And that's just it. And it's going to be by black people. Absolutely. I mean, students are that's just what it is. Right? That's just what it is. It shouldn't, yeah. it doesn't need to be filtered. Doesn't need to be to make filtered. you feel good. Doesn't need a spoonful of sugar. Right. I mean, it's. Yeah, I think the real problem is just these are, fostering a, a this A lot of these people are liberals. Sure. And they think what they're doing makes it's sense, good. right? Yes. You know, what's the best way I can deliver this message? Well, it's got to be the most comfortable way. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, students can be made to do about anything you want to make them do. I mean, as a teacher, as a professor, you see pretty quickly, oh, they don't like this. Well, mm. they need it anyway. You know, mm. if they're going to learn it, they're going to have to sit down and really think and really work. Yeah. It may not be comfortable. Yeah. And if you can't get past the idea of making it comfortable, you're not really going to challenge them to the point that they learn much and, and so, grow much. And so, you know, 
quote unquote black history mm -hmm. in the form of American history is happening daily. Sure. So they're constantly updating, you know, there's Jackie Robinson, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And there was Hank Aaron, you know what I mean? And then sure. there was Michael Jordan. I, I fast forwarded a whole lot. Sure. But now there's like LeBron James. Yeah. And so we're writing history. We're adding on new history. And for a long number of years, Muhammad Ali might as well have been a Colin Kaepernick, right? He was left out because of his being outspoken, because of his religion, because of his politics. 100%. But if we still haven't inserted mm -hmm. these people from 70, 80, 90 years ago into American history, yeah. how do we even catch up to get what's still happening today? Because it's happening. Sure. Right? How do we get to insert this new history mm -hmm. into history? Or do we just start with the new history because we're in a better time now and now we just completely, <laughs> like Langston Hughes is just yeah. erased that whole era? Like that mm -hmm. didn't even happen because now it's easier for me to insert Toni Morrison into sure. the fabric of like American literature. And even she gets left out a lot. Of course she does. Absolutely. Of course she does. Yeah, you know, it's, I find a couple names that students of all colors are not familiar with. I mean, Marcus Garvey, mm -hmm. right off the bat. I have right no idea. That. Who's that? Um, he it, had over a million followers yeah, right. in the early 1900s. <laughs> if they know Malcolm X... They know about as accurate a version of Malcolm X as they know of Martin Luther King. Right. Right. It's this very kind of cookie cutter, anti-Martin Luther King. That's what right. Malcolm X He's was. He's the opposite of yeah. Martin. He was all about violence. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we, I mean, that, that right there goes to show that keeping it all to February, you have to give like these caricatures Correct. of these historical figures. Correct. And typically it's a caricature that either writes someone off as, well, not really Malcolm. Let's really focus on this one speech that Martin Luther King gave. Correct. And we, and we spoke about how that is, that's an American thing. That's not mm -hmm. even a white American thing because we're talking about the education sure. system. And so, excuse me, the same narratives are being given mm. to black kids in public school. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? For as, sure. As well. I mean, now they're getting crazy with these books. You would know more about this than me, or these books with, like, happy slaves, and, yeah. you know, they're giving these kids these books. Oh, well, well, no, and George Washington's happy slaves. and That's, that's always <laughs> kind of been there, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The well, first migrants, you know, the, like there's, there's these things now that are being shit. introduced that even in my childhood, it was like, man, at least we were like kidnapped yeah. and brought into America. Now we're like migrants, there's, migrant workers. There's some back and forth on that presentation over time. I think over history, you see periods where educators thought, you know, we got to really introduce this in harsher terms because yeah. it was a brutal system. Yeah. And then, you know, a few years later, they pull back and we're back to happy migrants, mm. happy workers. Mm. But it, it seems like a lot of going in circles. So if I say that mm. black children should be taught 
a black curriculum, mm. let's say to sixth grade. Hmm. Okay. So you would do would it. Would you call me a radical for that? You would say early childhood is the time to do it. Why do you say black children? Why not mm. all children? Well, because I can't really get to that step mm. until the thing that you just said was a very difficult step mm. to do. So I've got to secure mm. these kids knowing who they are. Okay. So that they can operate in this world. That's my yeah. primary. You understand? Absolutely. Um, I get that. Not even I get. My goal is, like I said, for this to be curriculum, mm. American history across the board, Asian contributions, mm. native contributions first, <laughs> African contributions European contributions. That's what America is. Sure. And a whole bunch of other things and mixed up things and people of this, 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 that, and just it's a multiracial society. It should have a multiracial history. Absolutely. Or it does have a multiracial history. That history should be taught. So until we get there, mm. you can't say all students yet. How? Yeah. You know, that's a mm. fight that I don't know that I can win. But, and I don't know that I can win the fight that I'm trying to fight now, but I'm saying as a black man. It sounds like a lot of homeschooling, right? As a, exactly. Yeah. As a black man, mm. I would urge black folk mm. to consider some type of extra mm. curricular learning yeah. Yeah. or some form of, but then we get back to what I said about. Mm the miseducation yeah. of the Negro. If we ran our school boards, mm -hmm. <laughs> if we voted in predominantly black communities, if we owned mm -hmm. in predominantly black communities, maybe these things, I don't think, mm -hmm. I don't know that other ethnic groups have this issue. So that sounds a little bit like segregation, does it, it not? It does. Yeah. Which is odd. Right. As I sit here doing a podcast mm -hmm. with my white friend. Right. <laughs> we don't have to stay friends, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, on this topic, I want to give a shout out to one of my students. Cool. Mousi Mensamir. Nice. He was a student in my hip hop class just this past semester, and he grew up right down the road from here and still lives in the, the historically black community of Lawnside, New Jersey. Word. So Moosey Mensa is 22 years name. old, I believe. Great name. He goes by money making moose. On nice. Side. Yeah. He just ran and won a seat on the school board of Lawnside, New Jersey. Right. In his early 20s. And yeah. Lawnside is a historically black community and kids go to the elementary school there, but by middle school and high school, they sort of feed into this bigger school, Haddon Heights, okay. which is where we're sitting where we right, now right, right now at Roper Town. Yeah. Yes. And one of his concerns, he said, um, entering this role as a member of the school board is to help ease that transition. Mm. Because a lot of the kids come out of the elementary schools in Lawnside, the way I understand him to say it. 
and end up kind of like floating without much of a tether once they get to middle school and high school where mm, they're, they're fed lost. into this much larger school. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if there might not be some of that same scenario in your idea of like a first five or six years of school, um, a black curriculum for black kids, then how do you make the transition? In the same way, well, look, you're going to have to make the transition. Absolutely. Right? And I don't think that having a black, I don't think that a black kid knowing his history <laughs> makes him ill, you know, mm -hmm. unable to adjust to a white society that's occurring around him. Yeah. I, th I would argue mm -hmm. it makes him more equipped to deal with the larger society. I think if you carefully prepare him for the fact that he's going to have to, right? I agree. And that's that missing step, I think, for a lot of I kids, agree. right? But I think that um, because how is he more equipped with the curriculum mm. he's being given now? He's not. Right? Yeah, and that's, absolutely right. That's my point, yeah. right? So we're not talking about, we're not talking about, um, we had a conversation about the, um, I think it was 70% of the books mm -hmm. in New York City public schools have, are from white authors. Mm -hmm. And the person saying, you know, the comment being that books don't have racism colors. <laughs> books don't have racism. Right? And so. Mm. Catcher in the Rye does though. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm gonna read Catcher in the Rye okay. too. And I'm gonna let you do. I'm gonna say Little Women is probably wider if we had to choose one. I'm gonna say Little Women is probably the widest book. And so I didn't read that either. And so um, I, it's disproportionate. Mm -hmm. So when I say black curriculum. Let's just adjust the proportion mm. to who we're teaching. Okay. Again, it's still American history. Sure. So I'm not pushing out like some kid in a dashiki that's mm. going to end up going to high school. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And scare everyone. Like, it's, sure. not, it's not about that. It's just about who are you in this world? I think I would say a lot of these kids are getting lost when they get into a predominantly white classroom setting mm -hmm. because they're being taught the same European yeah. curriculum as I'm, children. I would imagine you're right. Right? And then they're getting into this space and they're getting lost. Yeah. Right? Because at least when they were in classrooms that were predominantly black, they could find themselves. Yeah. Even though they're being taught Whatever they're being taught. And ideally, the teachers, even despite the curriculum, know how to reach and find these kids. Correct. Right? Know how to see these Correct. kids. Correct. In or, a way that maybe they get to in, middle school and, in, and teachers And in many don't. cases, give a damn to. Yeah. Then you're also That's maybe true. talking about smaller classroom sizes mm -hmm. as, you know. Yeah. So what better way mm -hmm. for a child to be able to navigate the white man's world mm -hmm. than to be 13 years old and know that they can pick up Baldwin mm -hmm. and find 
themselves and find their voice. Absolutely. I, I, I can't see how that would hurt. No, no, I don't think it would at all. Because the, guess what? What we have currently is very problematic. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know, and so. And even, even despite how stacked the curriculum is toward studying white Americans, white novelists, white historical figures, et cetera. I meet a lot of white college professors who assume their black students probably know quite a bit about black history. And I don't know where they expect they might have picked it up. I guess like at home, you know, ideally. Because but, uh, everyone's being raised by yeah, African-American right. studies professor. You know what I yeah, mean? It just, just doesn't work Mollify that way. Molify just in everyone's yeah. house. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, even as, as a white professor teaching classes that involve black culture, or classes on black culture, like hip hop, right? right. Um, I'll run into that scenario where I, I find myself thinking like, well, I hope I'm not going over stuff that this student thinks. Or, or I'm sorry, student, student thinks he already knows. That's how mm. I want to say it. Mm. Like, I hope that the student's not sitting here thinking like, well, this white guy thinks he knows more about my culture than I know. Mm. But I've actually not run into that much. Because you do. Because I, I tend to. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I've spent a lot of years studying this and working on it, researching it, writing about it. Um, naturally, just like I would know more about Catcher in the Rye, probably um, than your average 18-year-old first yeah. coming into college. Yeah. I do know more about Garvey. I also think it was CeeLo who said um, white people know more black history than black folks do. That was CeeLo, yeah. Effect. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's not a scenario I've really found myself in for the that's most shameful, part. That's shameful, man. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so how do we even begin to work on this idea? Would, you said you would abolish Black History Month before you would. I'm... <laughs> Gradually. Yeah. I would abolish Black History Month once we got to a space where mm. it was integrated into the okay. total curriculum. Yeah. That would be my push. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm an, I guess, fairly elevated human being. I do believe mm. we are all human beings. I do believe in sharing. I do believe in friendship. I do believe in fellowship um, among races, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and harmony and all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> harmony and all that shit. But we... And it's difficult and I hate to be that mm -hmm. guy because I'm not that guy. And I, so I would never question the um, decisions and choices of my ancestors because I realize that, one, I'm using hindsight in doing that, mm -hmm. which is like not cool. And two, I just would never disrespect my ancestors because of what you know, they had to pay for me to even be able to of crack course. this mic and talk yeah. shit. But 
maybe a couple decades too soon with the integration <laughs> thing, man. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... We gave up a lot to integrate, man. Everything. Yeah, I mean, the um, there were so many black high schools before school integration yeah. that were thriving. Yeah. And, you know, the, the whole history of that school, because they never moved the white students into the black school. Yeah. It was always shut down the black school. Everybody goes to white school now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you lost, like, that, that trophy shelf, the, fight, the debate team, the, the music fight team. was separate but equal. Mm -hmm. At that time, that was the fight. Yeah. It was not integration. Yeah. It was make our shit better because yeah. we're Americans and Absolutely. we're citizens and we pay taxes. Yeah. Upgrade our shit. Yep. It wasn't shut our shit down and let's go into your shit. And let's spend a few decades taking it back to where it was. Yeah. Where the numbers look as bad as they did before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a mess in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, I feel fortunate that I teach at the university level because at least there I get more leeway to yeah. choose my own readings, yeah. to make up new classes, yeah. um, make up new curriculums. You know, I get to work and say, like, what should be required for this minor in American studies, for yeah. example? Yeah. Um, a lot of high school teachers on down are very constrained. Yeah. You know, if they want to choose a new book, they have to take it to the principal. It may have to go to the school board. Some parents going to complain. Well, this book doesn't prevent, present white people in a very good light. I don't yeah. like this. Yeah. I don't want my student to read this. It's hateful. Yeah. And so, so you're very constrained. And getting back to even my catcher in the ride joke, mm -hmm. part of why I didn't, I've never read that is because I went to like a Caribbean mm. private school up to the eighth grade. Okay. So, you know, we sang lift every voice and sing every mm -hmm. morning. You understand? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I come from a particular kind of space. Okay. I, you know what I mean? And I, so I learned maybe what I would consider some form of a black curriculum. Okay. Until I got to high school. And then in high school, I was integrated into the New York City public school system. And this was Brooklyn Tech for and you, Brooklyn right? Tech, okay. which was at the time like the number three high school in, yeah. in the city. So, And that's why you and all your classmates are out there doing major things. Yeah, yeah. They're smart. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm the slacker. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I don't but, know. But so I'm speaking to something that I experienced. Yeah. And the only time that lack of a European-based liberal arts education mm. hinders me is at dinner parties with white people. Okay. Or maybe <laughs> achievement tests and going achieve, way back, And achievement right? tests. Mm. Bingo. Right? Absolutely right. And You probably don't take a lot of those these days. I don't. Right? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I stared at a GRE for like two seconds. I said, right? hell no. Not happening. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Just get out. Yeah, I'm just going to rap. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, no. Uh, and so, I don't, but I think that having the knowledge of myself mm -hmm. is why I'm here. You know what I mean? And why sure. I've been able to function in this world. So, I think if I had it, a son or a daughter, would I trade the um, liberal arts education, mm. you know, for what I got? 
hundred percent every yeah. single time I would give my child access to yeah. what I learned as a child and just, yo, you can do this stuff on your own. If you want to be able to um, have cool stuff to say at dinner parties with white people. See, I can honestly and that say shit's important. Trust me. <laughs> that gets you in a lot you know of doors, I mean? right? But what ha What's good for me is mm. I know sports. Ooh. So you just so you sprinkle the other shit topic. white people sure. are into around <laughs> and you can do okay. What kind of white people are you hanging out with? <laughs> All kinds. Yeah. Man, you know, hearing you say that, I don't think I would. If you can break down a left hand hitter. You yeah, know, like true, like it, it helps. It does. It helps. I don't have the sports now. <laughs> see, I can talk about like University of Kentucky basketball from when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, once you get to like Rex Chapman, that's about where it ends with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, hearing what you said, I don't think I would send my daughter to the same education I had at mm. her age. Nah, never right. in a million years. Right. So that's interesting to hear you say that you would. You would trade whatever you get from the public schools from the European liberal arts tradition. For what you had. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say. Up to the eighth grade. Yeah. And shout out to Ebenezer Preparatory School. Okay. Rest in peace, um, Pastor Marshall. Shouts out to um, Mrs. Marshall and Timothy Marshall. Mm -hmm. Very instrumental. That's great. And there's a lot of that alumni out here in the world doing all kinds of amazing things That's great. as well. Just from that foundation, 100%. And also... Um, any alumni of um, Uhuru Sasa, which is my preschool that I went to, which means um, Freedom Now Ooh. School. Freedom Now is Uhuru Sasa. Freedom in Brooklyn. Now. Yeah, in Brooklyn. It's in still Bed there. In Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Oh, no, they shut that down okay. a long time ago. Okay. So, it's a homeless shelter now, I believe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was right on Quincy. Very okay. instrumental. You know, I, I remember I remember stuff from three years old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I say I wouldn't send my daughter to like the Kentucky schools I went to. Mm. She's getting similar education in New Jersey's public schools. Um, similar in ways. Right. Um, she's, she's way more attuned to social justice than I was at 10. Of course. Um, and I don't know if all that's coming from school or, or if quite a bit of it's mom. coming from home. Yeah, her mom and her dad, right? Her activist mom, yeah. Her activist mom. Um, you know, her best friend is, you know, a Mexican kid. Her mom came over from Mexico when she was like 16 years old. Okay. Um, and her dad was very young. I think he was 17 when wow. he came over. They came over entirely separately, you know, and met here in the U.S. Right, right. But I mean, I think even spending they, they a lot of time. Up, they didn't come together married? No. Oh, okay. No. That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, growing up with the best friend who doesn't look just like you is a real bonus. Yeah. And that's not something I had. Uh, me neither. Yeah. I mean, I was in a very racially homogenous part of Kentucky. It's yeah. less so now but than it was when I was growing up. But And we've. That's but that's more America than yeah, you know her and Coco's experience yeah, yeah, and it was a detriment to me yeah, you know I it's one thing to talk about or learn about diversity but when it's a room of thirty white kids you're not really learning diversity right and that takes us back to uh, adding four white people to the list of six people to honor for Black History you understand Month. Understand what I'm saying, and I, I guess that's my point. Yeah. And so when you're already when the curriculum itself, when the foundation mm. of the society 
is a European worldview. Yeah. And then you're segregated amongst Europeans. Europe, sure. You know, that's where we get to the space where there's never a need. Mm. I don't need to, and I don't know that I don't need to. Yeah. And then I'm encountered by a black person or black people. Sure. Like, right. And Absolutely. even when I'm encountered by them, it mm. doesn't matter because they've learned similar mm. to what I've learned. So they need to adjust to my world. So all the I code switching goes one way. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so, you know, like I was reading um, what will happen all this month is... Jackie Robinson mm. first. Maybe some car ever. Right. But I'm saying like black Jackie Robinson, first black mm. um major league baseball player. Nothing about the Negro League, right? Just no, yeah. right. no satchel um, page. Just uh Misty Copeland, first black ballerina mm. to be put into the da 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 da. And we're just celebrating all of these first black people mm. who did stuff. I got a f I got a fact. Elizabeth Taylor. Not Liz Taylor mm. that we know, but Elizabeth Taylor is the first black to perform for royalty. Mm. She performed for Queen Victoria whenever that was. Wow. She was right? African-American? Yeah. That's just a random okay. black fact that I've heard. Wow. And I wrote it down one day. <laughs> I didn't know that one. Because that's what I'm talking about. Mm. We're so, that's a celebration mm. of the first black to perform mm. for royalty Ooh. because there was never a king in Africa. Of course. Hmm. So that really erases quite a bit of history, right? That's the shit I'm talking Where about. Where do you mark these firsts? Am I, am I to celebrate that? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So how are these firsts marked and defined? You, I mean, they're defined one way. Mm -hmm. And so they're, miseducation you mm. know what I'm saying? so the more of that you learn yeah the more you need to be stripped of that mm. and go in the direct opposite direction to find out who you actually are mm -hmm. to learn that they were i'm sure black people singing for kings and queens oh, sure. all over the damn world prior to whoever sang for queen victoria <laughs> and, in 15 and black people something, were something. the kings and queens <laughs> let alone that fact there you right? go you know, even in, in popular music, you know, I, I've read several different interviews where Hank Williams Sr. said that a black person taught him to play guitar. I never have seen that person's name in print anywhere. Mm. I don't even know if he knew it or cared to know it. Yeah. Um, but he mentioned that in several interviews during his life and never have I seen that person's name what's in the print. New, what's the scotch that was well, it a scotch? No, it's not a scotch. It's a whiskey. It's a Tennessee whiskey. Oh, Jack Daniels, right? Well, no, there's a new there's one. There's a new one from the guy from who the taught guy who Jack, Daniel Jack Daniel to me. That, yeah. The process. Yeah. yeah. And, and see, we don't know the name. Right? Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know the name of the guy. I just read about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah but uh, it's a, I think it's a. Um, it was obscured to history for so many years. Yeah. And it's a. Uh, we don't even it's know. A sister, I think, who um, who owns mm -hmm. the, um, the company. But it's a tennis, Tennessee whiskey. And mm -hmm. they say they say that. Um, you know, Jack Daniels wasn't, he didn't hide this fact. Nearest Green. Nearest Green. A slave who helped teach Daniel how to make whiskey. Now, the name Jack Daniel is pretty familiar around the world from the yeah. Jack Daniels whiskey bottle, yeah. but Nearest Green, 
you got to get online and search for that. Oh my God, like we just did. <laughs> Even as interested as we are, we had to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, these things, mm-hmm. again, that's not black history. That's history. It's not, right? it's not hella interesting. Mm-hmm. Who taught Jack Daniels the process? Yeah. That's, that's not just something you'd want to know. It happens to be a black guy. Well, it was hidden. It's not like it, it fell from favor. Nobody knew it because it was kept a secret. Exactly. And that's that issue right there. When you get down to first, so many of those firsts were never recorded, hidden, thrown away, burned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll shout out since we talked about literature, I'll shout out a book that's flown under a lot of people's radar. Fran Ross's book, Oreo. The only novel she wrote. Um, she was a black and Jewish writer from Philadelphia. She went on to write for Richard Pryor briefly when he had a TV show. Um, but Fran Ross, Oreo. I think everybody should check that one out if you don't know that one. Mm. Well, let's let's end this episode with the readings and, and lyrics that we usually go out with. Let's Does do that, that sound good? Let's you want- do that. I mean, well, you know what? Let's let's try and um Let's try and put a button. Let's try to wrap it up. Yeah. Bring it all together. What, there what, we go. I mean, what do you think would be a good first step mm-hmm. to closing the gap of what we discussed in this? Well, I'm going to start out with a tip for college professors because that's the world I know. And as I said, the rules are so different in public schools, high school on down. I'm going to say, though, if you're a college professor and you look down your syllabus and you see no black folks or very few black folks, before you assign that syllabus, before you print it out or post it for your students, stop and really think why that is. And if your answer is, well, a woman down the hallway from me teaches a whole class Mm. on black lit. Don't forget that the men and women all up and down that hallway teach plenty of classes on white lit. And that's covered. So why is it that your class, the black voices are so few and far between? Mm. And if you don't have a good answer for that, it's probably time to revise that syllabus. Now that's on an individual level, on a structural level, a curriculum level, an administrative level. It becomes very tricky. But if you have enough of those individuals who are willing to at least take one small step, um, maybe you don't have a lot of black voices on your syllabus because you weren't trained in black lit. But if you don't start to, to step out of your comfort zone and really research some of this on your own, find new voices, um, it's never going to change. I like that. I would urge parents of all color to um, one, acknowledge that in many cases, especially in the public school systems of your various cities and towns, you are being done or your child's being done a disservice when it comes to the history that they're being taught. I would find alternative means in ways to teach your children American and world history. I would make sure that they're getting a healthy and diverse education 
because I don't think that um, there is any, well, I would put pressure first on your school boards and mm -hmm. your school administration to make it part of the curriculum. And in lieu of that, I would seek out ways, whether it's books, movies, et cetera, et cetera, because we live in a diverse world, in a diverse country. And the more we know about each other, the better off we all are. Ooh, well said. We have to acknowledge it first. There you go. All right. You got something? <laughs> you know, I'll shout out one more local shout out while That's we're cool. here in Haddon Heights. Right down the road from here in Haddon Township is Sadler's Woods, which was founded or settled, I guess, by a runaway slave, Joseph Sadler, Get out. who settled here years ago. And his land, most of it, is still protected. He wrote into his will that nobody should ever cut down a tree on what had been his land. And for the most part, the town has stuck to that. So Sadler's Woods is still here, at least most of it, right here in South Jersey, um, in Haddon Township. Very cool. So should I read first or you want to rhyme first? You usually read first. You go first. All Let's right. Go for it. So this is a clip from my book, A Guest in the House of Hip Hop, How Rap Music Taught a Kid from Kentucky What a White Ally Should Be. And this is just a little snippet from chapter two that talks about the role hip hop played in my education when I was a young kid. I grew up on the border between Eubank and Science Hill, Kentucky, with an unwavering certainty that I lived in a place that people did not want to come from. I used to stand in the woods and pretend I was standing in Central Park, out for a quick run before I headed back to my Upper West Side high ride. In real life, I lived between the woods and a pig farm. If my family wanted a pizza delivered, we had to drive one town over and meet the driver at the edge of his territory, the Junior's Food Mart parking lot. I spent a lot of time reading library books and listened to bootleg rap cassettes bought at the truck stop. I spent a lot of time in the woods, a lot of times bouncing a tennis ball against the side of the house and wishing I were somewhere different. My childhood home where my mother still lives had once been a one-room schoolhouse. Old couples, former students at the schoolhouse, would stop by to marvel at how far they'd gotten from where they began. My father ran an auto body repair shop from the shack he and his friends built out back. He made the outsides of cars look pretty, but could not keep our own car running. At the end of our gravel driveway, the white and black metal sign for Mike's Body Shop, two nights after he bought and installed the sign, some asshole drove past and threw a rock out his car window. The impact left a cracked asterisk, which over the years turned into a softball-sized starburst rust. I swept cigarette butts into a pile on the body shop floor and watched my dad prep cars for paint jobs, protecting headlights and windshields with newspaper and masking tape with its sweet chemical smell. I found comfort in the paint fumes and the heat from the wood stove, even as the cars my dad painted promised escape. Semi-truck cabs with silhouettes of big-breasted women airbrushed under the back windows. A van with a New York license plate and a thick Brooklyn phone book shoved between the console and the passenger seat. I looked up landmarks mentioned in rap songs. Viz Marquis' Albee Square Mall. MC Light's Empire Roller Draw. I knew they were real places, of course, but holding that phone book in my hand somehow made them more tangible. I called Albee Square Mall, and when somebody answered, I hung up. <laughs> my heart racing like I was calling to ask out a girl. What began as escapism 
opened my ears to perspectives some of my classmates rejected. I can't say that at nine years old, I set out to listen to rap music to hear stories of how it felt to be black in America. But those messages did come to resonate with them. Black History Month at my elementary school taught me that Martin Luther King had a dream. But Public Enemy taught me that two decades after his murder, they still didn't celebrate his birthday in Arizona. Schools show me the grandfatherly George Washington Carver, but X-Clan name-dropped the militant Nat Turner and Huey Newton. I heard Q-Tip say Soul on Ice, and I sought out Eldridge Cleaver's prison memoir by that name at the public library. I watched Prince Paul introduce a De La Soul video about the power of being an individual by saying, if you take three glasses of water and put food coloring in them, you have many different colors, but it's still the same old water. And I wanted to believe he was not just pointing out the lack of logic to racism, but welcoming a white kid in Kentucky into the hip-hop fold. When I felt ashamed to whisper free lunch to the cafeteria workers at school, I thought about the rappers who wrote such compelling songs about growing up in housing projects. It was childish escapism, not much different from watching cowboy movies or mafia flicks, but it developed into a lifelong allegiance to one of hip-hop's distinct iterations of the American dream. The idea of making it out of a place by telling its story so vividly. Nice. Thank you. <clears throat> what do you got for us? It's like that, Anna. It's like that, Anna. My name is Diggs and I never rock a bandana. I ain't a gangbanger. I'm a revolutionary. This is very necessary. We stay military-minded. Blinded by the trick knowledge. Went to school, did the college, learned more in the streets still. That's why I stay in the streets and build. Lord willing, if I die on the streets, it's real. Not fighting for a corner, but fighting for survival. A buffalo soldier fighting on arrival. I ain't like a lion in Zion. Learned the truth from Sojourner, Nat Turner with a black burner. The husband of Harriet Tubman. From Malcolm to Martin, we must have lost something. From Huey to Bobby Seale. It's time to grab our steel. They want us to bow, we will not kneel. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. All right. So that signs us out. This That's is it. Guest in, in the House. Podcast. I'm Mickey Hess. I'm Trom Diggs. And that's Goddess. See you next time. See you next time.